So welcome everyone. Really, really wonderful to see everyone over here. There's still some people in the waiting room. Yeah, Brian will let them You've got that. So we're very lucky. I felt this is a really important topic. Um, I've got to say that David, somehow, I don't even know how the connection happened, but somehow I got an email from David and I was so glad that I did because um, I, I think I think now what's going on, the political climate, what's going on, and just the misunderstanding, as you know, a lot of you, um, you know, with Chabad campus, with YGP, there's just a lot of miscommunication in terms of what's happening out there, what's um, our right to Israel, you know, specifically, I, I mentioned to David last night, we were talking about with Seth Rogan, with his statement, which we'll discuss a bit later on. Um, with, with such a climate in terms of all the confusion and misunderstandings, I, I thought it was really, really critical that we hear it from, if you like, the people who are out there on the front line and um, really to understand what's going on, what's the situation, and to have an open and frank and genuine discussion so we could all get a clear picture um, of our legitimacy to, you know, Eretz Israel, to, to Israel, to Atena Kadosh, our holy land, and um, our biblical right to be there, our godly right to be there, our moral right to be there, our ethical right to be there, our legal right to be there, our historical right to be there, um, all of those regards and more. So um, I thought, you know, David is, is a council member of, of a Shamron. He's someone that has... Um, spoken and represented them on numerous platforms, been in numerous delegations representing them. And um, it's a really, Kavod, it's a really honor to have David all the way from Israel. And um, David, can I just begin by thanking you for giving up your time. Thank you for, for you know, agreeing to spend the next hour with us. The format of the event will be David will initially speak and then we'll have a QA. and a um, If anybody has any specific questions, you know, I'll announce it again, but they can put it in the chat and I'll, and I'll ask them to David. Um, David, all yours. Thank you. Tadalacha, as we say. Uh, Moshe, thank you very much. And Brian, thank you for organizing this event and allowing me to participate. And we are uh, obviously enjoying the, the uh, technology that has been developed and now uh, the, this uh, video conferencing that has become more popular because of the COVID-19 crisis where we find ourselves uh, working more and communicating more from our computers at home. I, Baruch Hashem, am at home here in the center of the Shamron, or the Samaria, which is also uh, called by some the, the West Bank or the northern part of the West Bank. In uh, normal times, I uh, host many uh, geopolitical tours here in the Shamron region, for people all over the world who visit Israel and are interested in understanding more about the reality on the ground here. Uh, and uh, again, because of the, the current situation, uh, I have not uh, been doing many of those tours. I've actually started a, a, a Israel tour guide uh, course to become a registered licensed tour guide for all parts of the state of Israel. And I am a very deep in this intensive course that is now a 14 month course. Uh, and uh, over the course of these 14 months, the Ministry of Tourism expects us to learn everything that has to do with Israel from the beginning of time to, uh, to current day events, including uh, geology 
and maps and history of every different religion that ever passed through the land. Uh, and uh, I'm actually uh, studying now for a test in geology that I failed two weeks ago. And I, I'm doing it again tomorrow evening, again over the internet. We're doing a lot of study at home, but Baruch Hashem, uh, recently the government has eased up some of the regulations uh, and that's a quest in a question mark as well. But over the past few weeks, we've been able to go out in the field and tour around. And over the past uh, two weeks and this coming week, we're spending a lot of time walking through the old city of Jerusalem. Again, learning about many things that are relevant to our conversation. Uh, this, uh, our event today is uh, titled the uh, Holy Real Estate. Holy Real Estate, referring to the Samaria and Judea, and of course also uh, referring to our capital, Jerusalem, and uh, in general, to our connection to the land of Israel. So uh, before I start, and uh, just earlier, as we were uh, dealing with the technical uh, launch of this conference, uh, Moshe, you asked me, where am I originally from? And I'm sure that some of the participants are curious to know. As you can hear, I, I speak a, an American English with an Israeli accent. I also speak Israeli Hebrew with an American accent. I was born in the United States and I came to Israel as a child. My family made Aliyah when I was 11 years old. That was 42 years ago. So I spent more of my life in Israel. I am duolingual. I've lived here in the Samaria with my wife, Mari, for 30 years. We came to Kfar Tepuach, where I live now, 30 years ago. I have been a, a, a politically active on a local level. Uh, and uh, I am currently a member of the regional council, which is the municipal government for the Shamron region. I was elected a, a year and a half ago, the end of November and it's a, a five-year term. In, in Israel, we have a, two, a, a, two networks of a local government. We have local governments for towns and cities like Jerusalem. So in Jerusalem, I would be a member of the city council, the city hall, and in the Shamron, I'm a member of the regional council. I represent my town. A, over the past years, I have done a lot of uh, uh, international representation for our communities in the Sharon. As I mentioned earlier, I have uh, hosted many tours, geopolitical tours here in the Samaria, uh, helping people from all around the world understand more about the issues that uh, we hear about in the news. Uh, the West Bank, the Israelis, the Palestinians, the settlements. Uh, very often in uh, these tours, when uh, we are seeing these sites, I back and forth uh, using different terminology. Every different uh, definition that we use is a very politically, uh, uh, has, has a political um, 
understanding or statement. So when I say that I live in the Shamron, or when I use the terminology Judea and Samaria, that, that has a, a political, uh, that's a political statement. Uh, of course, we explain that those are very ancient terms and they're ancient definitions for these regions, Judea and Samaria. But uh, we intentionally use those terms in order to make our claim to this holy real estate and to say that this land is uh, very uh, important to us that we were here before and that we have returned to our land. And on the other hand, when our opponents uh, use the terminology, the West Bank, they're also making a political statement. They're saying that this land is something that Israel extended, its, uh, uh, extended itself into or took control of or conquered and is occupying. Uh, we might be surprised that there are uh, people who are familiar with the term the West Bank and uh, don't realize that when we say Judea and Samaria, we're actually referring to the same piece of land. Uh, and again, many of the other terms that are in this conversation, if uh, we read in the newspaper about Jewish settlers, then I will explain to my guests, many of whom are elected officials from uh, different countries around the world or international journalists or clergy or academics, uh, who want to understand the, the situation here. And when we visit towns in the Samaria, my town, for instance, and we see the, the homes and the playgrounds and the schools and the children and the institutions and so forth, I need to stop and explain to people, you know, when you read the newspaper and they speak about the West Bank or the Jewish settlements in the West Bank, they're talking about a town like this. And we refer to this as a town or a yeshuv or a community. We don't like to use the, the term settlement because it seems that it's implying that this is something temporary or something strange to this place or something that doesn't belong to this place. I, I actually did a, conducted an interesting experiment. I didn't really intend for it to be an experiment but uh, I, I used a, a Google tool uh, that is called uh, Google, um, now I forgot the, the, the term that they use, but, but you can subscribe to a word on Google. If you would like to see, for instance, your own name, I'm David Ivory, so I'm, and, uh, I'm uh, politically active. I'd like to see when my name comes up in the news. So I can subscribe, it's called Google Alerts. I can subscribe on Google for Google alerts. And anytime my name comes up in the media, I will get an alert in my email. And you can subscribe to any word at all. So I was interested in following any news reports regarding the settlements and the settlers. And I followed this word for a couple of years. And I learned something very interesting that this term typically a, when it comes up regarding any international issues, settlers are very often considered something positive. So you might find settlers in, in, a, 
in different places in the, the wilderness who are settling the land and so forth. And typically the reports regarding those settlers will be a positive and they get most of the, the, uh, the use of the word by the way. But on the other hand, if we just throw out the word settlers, people will very often think of the Jewish settlers in the West Bank and the media typically refers to that as a negative as if Israel is trying to take over Arab land by pushing in Israelis and settling them in the land. So in any case, typically we, we don't use those terms, but on my ge geopolitical tours, I will make a point to, to bridge over the terms and to make sure that our guests understand that when we're visiting a Jewish town in the Samaria, this is the same town that is considered a settlement in the news. Or if we're in the Samaria, we're in the same region that is considered the, the West Bank in the news. And, and then I'll also explain to them, as, as we just did, uh, why we rather use different terms. We use our own terminology because, and th this is the main point, and it, it's all building up to this. We believe that this is where we belong. We believe that this is our land. And going back to the title that Moshe gave uh, very wisely to this conference, the, the holy real estate. We, we are part of a historic phenomenon uh, that I haven't really found a parallel in history. The Jewish people are an indigenous nation and we could talk about that discussion as well for hours, because typically when the term indigenous is used, people think of uh, aboriginaries in Australia or uh, American Indians, First Nations in North America and, and so forth. Uh, people don't often think about the relationship of the Jews as an indigenous people. But actually, if you look at the criteria of what it means to be an indigenous nation, the Jews are the, the, the most exact uh, uh, example of an indigenous people. We are a, a nation that has an ancient connection to a certain piece of land uh, and our faith, our religion, our culture is built up around this connection. Uh, for instance, a Jewish people face the land of Israel and face our capital when we pray three times a day. So no matter where a Jew is in the diaspora, we all face this land in prayer. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of other examples in our uh, culture, faith, religion, halakha, that connect us directly to this land, that bring our focus to this land. The Jewish people uh, historically uh, were here. We began as a nation in this place, the 12 tribes of Israel, according to our faith. And again, when we bring up these uh, issues, some people uh, who are not uh, people of faith are not religious uh, might say, what, why does your, uh, why, why should your religious belief be important to me? Why, why should that 
be that's not a legal argument. Saying that it says so in the Torah. The Torah tells us that the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, came here to this land, and God promised them the land. So some people, by the way, many Jewish millenniums, many young Jewish people are also turned off by this uh, biblical claim. They might be religious themselves, but they don't feel comfortable. They are intimidated by using this because they don't feel that it's a legal argument, and they feel that we're in a... a uh, a legal debate regarding does Israel have a legal right to be here? But the reason that I bring, bring this up, first of all, is that our faith is the, the core of our motivation to be here to begin with. So again, this historical phenomenon, today we call a modern Zionism. 150 years ago, the, the Jewish people began to awaken, to understand, to have this feeling that we need to return, to regroup in our ancient homeland. That's a, again, it's something that I don't find a, a parallel. There are many nations throughout history who were conquered and banished from their lands and they basically disappeared. They, they they did not retain that national connection to the land. I like to, uh, Australia too is a, a multinational community. I'm more familiar with the United States. In America, there are uh, Italian Americans or Irish Americans or African Americans. In, in all of those different communities, they, they might preserve some uh, traditions from their heritage but none of those communities has a, a national movement of return. Not, none of those communities has this, this um, vision to regroup and to return to Ireland or to Italy or to Africa. But the Jewish people and uh, our diaspora began 2000 years ago, uh, more or less, uh, and the Jewish people spread out to the entire globe, we all in, in our uh, culture, I say culture, which you could say slash culture, religion, it doesn't make that much difference if people are, are very observant or are uh, less observant. The, this connection to the land of Israel is the center. I, I explained the story once to a, a Chinese journalist who was here in Kfar Tapuach interviewing me about some current events that were going on. And uh, I told him, he, he asked, why is this place important to you? I said, you know, we read in the Bible that Abraham, our father, entered the land and he came from Elon Moreh, which is just north of where we are. And he went to Hebron, which is south. And the, the road that he took is just below us. Today, this is called road number 60. Road number 60, we, we call Derech Avot. This is the, the way of our fathers. This is the, the, the path of the patriarchs. And uh, th this is where it began for us. This is our story. This Chinese man, uh, he said, I wanna thank you so much for sharing that with me because people outside don't really understand why it's so important for the Jews to be here in the West Bank. 
And now in just a few minutes, you gave me a very deep understanding of your, your motivation. This is what connects us to the land. This is where it began. So while this might not be a legal, uh, a tool for a legal debate that we can take into a court of law with the Bible, and says it says here in the Bible that Abraham walked here, and it says in the Bible that God promised the land to Abraham, the, the judge, well, you know, he could say, can you prove that Abraham, that God really spoke with Abraham? Can you prove that Abraham actually existed? That, that's a belief. We believe, we believe that. But what we can prove is that this story has been the base of our age-old connection to this land. And that occurred here, here in the Shamron, in the Samaria, when God promised the land to Abraham and to his seed forever, that happens here in the Shamron and in Hebron. So for us, this is the core, this is the center of the land of Israel. So for people who might understand, might acknowledge, people, I mean people in general, uh, people of the nations, might uh, people acknowledge the state of Israel and the right of the Jewish people to have the state of Israel and so forth, but they're not, it's, they don't understand why we need the West Bank. They, they see the West Bank as if it's an extension of Israel. Okay, historically, in 1967, there was the war, the, the Six-Day War. Israel was threatened, under attack, by Egypt and Syria and, and Jordan. Israel, unexpectedly, instead of being thrown into the sea and being destroyed, Israel succeeded in capturing land from three of those three countries, the Sinai from Egypt, the Golan from Syria, and the West Bank from Jordan. Uh, but the war is over, and now you've got uh, peace with Jordan, and now we want you to have peace with the Palestinians. So it just makes sense to, to leave that land, and, and why do you have to be in that land? And they see the West Bank as if it's an extension, as if Israel expanded its borders, as if Israel existed in the pre-1967 borders, and then Israel took control of more, more land. But we actually see the, the, our connection in, in the reverse. Judea and Samaria is the core of our connection to the land of Israel, because this was the heart of the, the Israelite countries of Judea and Israel, our capital was in Hebron, and then in Jerusalem, when the, the kingdoms divided, the northern kingdom was in Sebastia or in Shechem. This is the heart of the land of Israel. So we have a very, very strong connection and claim to this land. In addition to the strategic importance of this area, being that Judea and Samaria is the high elevated mountain ridge that looks over the Tel Aviv region, which is below us. And we could say that we are concerned, we are afraid that the region might be taken over by terrorist elements 
And some might say that we are just paranoid. But if we look at Israel's disengagement, pulling out of Gaza in 2005, Israel controlled Gaza. The government of Israel decided that it would be a good idea to give that area over to the Palestinians. Israel pulled out of Gaza 2005, 15 years ago. Basically, from that time on, the Islamist Hamas and their offshoots have been firing rockets from the domain of Gaza that they control into Israeli cities. So we have good reason to be concerned that if Israel were to give over the mountain area of the Samaria to the Palestinians, then those same elements could be firing rockets into Israel's major population cities of Tel Aviv, Kfar Saba, Herzliya, Rishon Etzion, Rehovot, all of the city area, the greater Tel Aviv area where 70% of Israel's Jewish population live. And of course, the Ben-Gurion airport would be under their scopes. So we have two, two major claims. In addition to legal arguments that are very strong as well, being that no other country, this land belonged to no other country prior to Israel taking control of it. What does that mean? You might ask, well, Jordan controlled the West Bank up until 1967. Yes, that is true. In Israel's War of Independence in 1948, Jordan invaded the West Bank and took control of the West Bank. And Jordan actually annexed the West Bank. The government of Jordan declared the West Bank part of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. They gave citizenship to all of the Arab or Palestinian residents of Judea and Samaria. The residents of Judea and Samaria were represented in Jordan's parliament in Amman. The only thing is that the international community refused to recognize Jordan's claim to this region. Even the Arab countries, the entire Arab League, denied Jordan's ownership of this land. The only two countries that recognized Jordan's claim to the area that they called the West Bank, and we should remember, by the way, that the term the West Bank was invented by the Jordanians in 1948. It did not exist in history. You can search all of the encyclopedias in the world. The term the West Bank and referring, referring to this land did not exist before the Jordanians coined the term in 1948 when they took control of the land. The only, the only two countries that recognized Jordan's claim were a Great Britain and Pakistan. So when Israel took over the West Bank from the Jordanians, Israel did not capture the land from a sovereign country. And for that reason, uh, the Geneva Fourth Amendment forbidding countries from settling their citizens in occupied territory does not apply to this situation. This is a, a different situation than the one spoken about in the Geneva, um, in the Geneva uh, Accords. Uh, Moshe, would you like to, uh, to stop for some questions? Hey. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you. That that was insightful and uh, informative, and, and thank you. And if people do have questions, feel free to put it in the chat. Um, David, if I, if, I, if, if I could just ask you a couple of questions on what you said. So you, you gave the historical context. You know, you, you, you gave a very strong emphasis specifically on the religious association and our connection to the land from day one and um, its biblical connection in terms of God's promise to, to Abraham, to Abraham, that, that this will be the place of where your children will, will live. And um, you, you also touched on and you spoke about security um, um, risk, if you like. Um, what I want to ask you is that equally, equally, and this is something which, which someone asked me to ask you actually this morning, I got quite a few texts. And um, one of the questions that someone asked you is they said, well, the Palestinians will have similar claims um, I actually don't know this if this is true. I don't know if this is true, but apparently, because um, I've not studied the Quran, but apparently, for example, like, you know, we have the story of how, and I'm, I'm jumping, but you'll see where I'm getting. Apparently, we have the story of Abraham and Yitzchak of how the Akeda, which was when Abraham offered, you know, they had that same story, but with Yishmael. And so what they claim, what the question I had this morning was, a lot of the claims that we have, apparently the Palestinians have similar claims just in a different narrative. And what do you say to that? So they have their story, we have our story, um, but yet we don't seem to reconcile those two different stories. There are many, many uh, levels of this conversation. If the, the conversation was purely a theological debate between two faiths that are parallel, then we would be released of all, all of the other levels or dimensions of this conversation. So if we would like, we can have theological debates with members of other faiths, be the Muslims. And of course, within our own, within Judaism, there are shivim panim the Torah. There are 70 understandings of the Torah. So every Talmid Chacham can give his own understanding. And in some cases, people carry out the mitzvot in different ways because their understanding of the mitzvah is different. Now, now that's, that's within, and the same happens within Islam and within Christianity. All of these faiths have their own understandings. But our situation is not purely a theological a discussion between people of different faiths. I, I uh, like to, uh, to present the theological, the Jewish theological uh, foundation of this conversation, particularly to help people understand why we are motivated to be here. Something happened uh, over the past 150 years. The Jewish people regrouped we, we gathered from the diaspora and we returned and established a sovereign Jewish state after uh, 1800 years of not having our own country, uh, of being uh, sp spread out in the diaspora with no uh, uh, of our own independent strength. We returned and regrouped in our land. And that is a very peculiar a historical phenomenon. 
or social phenomenon or it, it happened. So people might ask, why? Why did you regroup? Why did this happen? And I like to explain, I like to start with this foundation. The foundation is our connection to the land. This is what motivated us to return to this place. When we study history of Zionism, then uh, it's very popular to, to speak about the, the awakening of a nationalism or, or a nationalistic uh, uh, ideas in, in Europe and uh, the establishment of nation states and so forth and communism and socialism and, and so forth and to uh, say that this, this was part of that. That also might've influenced some of the things that happened. There are many different things that, that influenced. There were other proposals. The, the British suggested to Herzl to establish a country in Uganda. And there was a huge fight in the, the Zionist Congress. They called it the Congress of Tears because they all cried because some of the people said, we, we need a place of refuge. If the British are willing to give us Uganda, we must go there and, and have a place of refuge because there are pogroms in Europe and, and we need a place to be safe. But there were others who said there, there's no way. We must regroup in our national homeland. That's the only place we can establish our country. And if we look at the end result, we actually did return and regroup and reestablish and again become sovereign and, and become a, 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 an international party here in our own and historical homeland. So it's different, uh, uh, it, it's different uh, uh, levels of a, a conversation. By, by the way, uh, I, I've studied some, uh, some Islam and uh, the, the Quran actually supports the idea of the Jews returning to the land of Israel. The, sadly, the, the, some of the Islamists or uh, Islamic scholars who acknowledge that, that that's without pirushim, without commentary. The, the Quran actually speaks about the Jews returning to the land that was promised to them. But some, sadly, some Islamic scholars or Islamists uh, uh, criticize the Jews for not being faithful. They say, yes, the Jews need to return to the land of Israel, but the, those are the Jews who observe the faith. If they, they're not observing the faith, if they're not observing Shabbat and uh, Kashrut and, and what God expected of them, then there's a problem. And that's a whole different discussion. Thank you. And I, 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 loved, I love the way you, I think it's crystal clear in terms of divide and conquer in the sense of what is the argument? Is it theological? Is it historical? Is it political? Because I think the confusion perhaps comes when you try to mix all, all of them. But if you segregate and divide each one, then it's, it's pretty straightforward, clear and simple. Um, with, with that sort of introduction or with that, mindset or mind frame what is the discussion currently now with um you know obviously there's been a lot of talk and it was lead up into the into the election which we'll come to in a minute but um with bibi promising to you know what he called to, to annexation you know 
um, Yehud and Shamron, A, what's the terminology annexation? What's the, the, the current status of it? Is it happening? Um, it's support from Donald Trump. Um, it's criticism from other parts of the world. Um, where is it all standing? Thank you for asking that, Moshe. Again, we, we are, we, we tend to be very sensitive with terminology, with words. Don't use that word. There, there are many supporters of Israel who, who get very upset if you utter the word Palestinian, if you say Palestinian, because they feel that if we utter the word, we are in some way acknowledging their claim or giving them legitimacy. And so we can't say that. So we can only say Arabs. And we can never say West Bank, because if we dare say that word, then we are acknowledging part of their, their claim. And my, my issue with the being oversensitive with words is that uh, being so occupied with, with the, the words, we might lose the flow of the conversation or we might uh, be misunderstood. So very often in, in my presentation, I, I will use both, uh, both types of words. I'll say settlements and I'll say uh, West Bank and I'll say Palestinians and so forth. And I'll explain that I believe that the West Bank is Judea and Samaria and it belongs to the Jewish people. So again, with the, you asked about annexation or applying sovereignty. So I, I like to use the terminology of, I support Israel applying sovereignty in Judea and Samaria, instead of using the term, uh, Israel should annex Judea and Samaria, because we feel that some might, some might feel that when using the term annexation, they're implying that Israel is taking over land that, doesn't, that didn't belong to it. Israel captured the West Bank. The West Bank was occupied territory. And now Israel is annexing that and making it part of the state of Israel. So when I use the terminology, Israel should apply sovereignty in my worldview, I'm saying Israel liberated Judea and Samaria. This was land that belonged to the nation of Israel to begin with. Israel liberate, liberated this land. And over the past 53 years, Israel has, has neglected or postponed uh, applying full sovereignty. And now is time for the government to apply sovereignty to this land. So that, that's regarding the terminology, should we say annexation or apply sovereignty? And often when I insist on saying apply sovereignty, then some will say, well, that's actually the same thing. Applying sovereignty is just the same thing as annexation. And, and it really is. It's just semantics. Is it happening now? Uh, I, I can say that I am a, I'm, I'm disappointed with Netanyahu, his mandate, he promised that he would uh, apply sovereignty at least to part of Judea and Samaria. I uh, was, a, a, my, my, in my opinion, Israel should apply sovereignty to all of Judea and Samaria, not to, to parts of Judea and Samaria. Uh, and uh, Netanyahu promised that he would. The date that he promised he would do that, I think it was July 1st, has passed. 
we're, all, we're already in August. He has not done that yet. It was his mandate. He formed a government promising that he would annex or apply sovereignty to parts of Judea and Samaria. His coalition partners are not opposed to applying sovereignty in Judea and Samaria. He really has no excuse in my eyes. So he should have done that already. He hasn't. Again, uh, the, the whole conversation- why do, you think, why do you think he hasn't then? If his own, own political party backs him and you know the coalition backs him, it was a mandate that he that he promised in election. Netanyahu is is a a genius of political balance, of of staying there, staying in in his position. He has so many pressures on him. His his main focus remaining prime minister. Sadly, he's a politician, and like many politicians, he promises and he doesn't fulfill. So I'm, I'm disappointed, but it is all, this too is semantics. Even the issue of applying sovereignty is semantics. Why, why do I say that? I, I would like Israel to apply sovereignty to all Judea and Samaria because it's a statement. I would like Israel to be a proud nation, to stand up to the world and say, this is our land. It belongs to us. And we have applied Israeli law to all of this land. Israel did that, by the way, in 1982, Israel applied Israeli sovereignty to all of Jerusalem, to the, the united Jerusalem, to the reunited Jerusalem. Most of that area is, according to the international community, is part of the West Bank. Most of that area is area that Israel captured from Jordan in 1967. But Begin de decided, this is the capital of Israel. We are going to declare to the nations that it belongs to us. And the same in the Golan. Israel declared sovereignty in the Golan. And up until this last year, no country in the world recognized Israel's sovereignty in Jerusalem or in the Golan. Only uh, recently did American President Donald Trump uh, recognize Israel's sovereignty in Jerusalem and in the Golan. But even that, even years after Israel declared sovereignty in the Golan, Israel secretly conducted uh, negotiations with Syria. So Israel could have backtracked even after declaring sovereignty. Theoretically, Israel could have uh, come to a deal with Syria and uh, uh, removed itself from part of the Golan in a deal with Syria. So so I'm, me, I'm going to, I'm going to, because there's ahead, a lot of questions there. People are texting me questions. I want to get through a lot of questions. So someone just asked a, a quite interesting question. Jumping, you mentioned Trump and obviously Trump, um, you know, moved the American embassy um, to Shalim and, um, and obviously there's Trump Heights now um, up in the Golan Heights and, you know, acknowledging the sovereignty, etc. But someone just asked, are you specifically or just the general area in, in Shamran, the people, are they worried about a Biden win in America, um, you know, in the elections in America and, and its implications in terms of its relationship to Israel, specifically that there's talk and it's only talk that, you know, that the party now, the, the Democrats in America will be even more left, if you like, than Obama was and its implications for its relationship to Israel. The 
the general mood in Israel is very uh, appreciative of American President Donald Trump. The Israelis in general felt that President Obama was very negative towards Israel. And the President Trump is very positive towards Israel and is very friendly to Israel. Uh, so I think that it is safe to say that Israelis would like to see Trump in office another four years, surely over the uh, uh, alternative. Uh, if you, you ask me, the Americans are divided. In, in every election, the results, in every recent election, the results were very close. Uh, so it's hard to say what, what will happen. But uh, well, are you worried about if Biden would win, or do you think do you think it will have major implications and ramifications for for a Jew living in the Shamron? We we lived through Obama, and we lived through a couple of other uh, paros before Obama. Uh, we're, we're Am Israel, we're the people of Israel. We have God on our side. We're doing the right thing. We're where we belong. We we should be here. We have had harder times. But by the way, I've been here for 30 years in the Shamron. We, we lived through very difficult times as far as uh, local terrorism. Uh, and uh, it was very hard. Uh, and we are currently in, in much better times. But throughout all of these years, our towns in Judea and Samaria have grown uh, and uh, today, our growth is four times faster than the national average. Well, how many Jews live in Yehud and Shamran now? I don't know. There, there are people who are always a, a, presenting different numbers. There's probably about half a million. Yeah. Uh, in the, the Shamron region, by the way, I'm a councilman in the Shamron. The Judea and Samaria is broken up into six different geographical municipal regions. Uh, aside for local municipalities that are dotted around in different places, the Shamon is the northernmost and the largest in area size. Uh, this week we celebrated our 50,000 resident in the Shamon Regional Council. And that, that's not including cities that we have in the Shamon that are not part of our municipal government. Uh, so they're about half a million. But then there are others who count East, Eastern Jerusalem as well. So then it would be about 70, 750,000 or, or more. Could I, we're running out of time. We've probably got five more minutes, but I, I do want to ask you just, I want to, I've still got a lot of questions I want to get through. Um, you know, you mentioned before that Israel, um, if you like, reigns sovereignty over the, over, um, the God on Heights and over Yerushalayim. What I want to know, and you're saying now, therefore, it should do it over Yehud and Shamra. What I want to know from you is, there seems to be a real strong divide in Israel. And I'm not talking about now purely political. Obviously, it's, it, it, it manifests itself in politics. But I'm talking about just your average person on the street. Is it true? Is there a divide? Um, again, I'm not talking about in the political arena. I'm talking about purely on the streets. Um, you know, I know Tel Aviv is considered a... a, a 
hotbed for you know for you would call more the, the left you know etc and, and other parts obviously would be more aligned on the right but what is the sense and what 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 does an average israeli want so does an average israeli want israel to to recognize the sovereignty over Yehud and shamran or does it not I, I want to say two things in response to that question. Number one, Israel liberated, took over, came into Judea and Samaria 53 years ago. Most Israelis today were born after, were born into this situation. Most Israelis and Palestinians, by the way, most people who live here were born into this situation. This is the, this is the only thing they know. The, these areas, Judea and Samaria, is in their, the, our mind's eye, politics aside, I'm just speaking about uh, everyday life. Uh, the, the University of Ariel has uh, 15,000 students. 90% of them do, do not live here. They come from everywhere else in Israel. People travel on the roads going to Ariel and to Efrat and to Hebron and so forth. The, this, this is what we know, Israelis. We, we know that this is part of the state of Israel. This is part of our experience. And on the other hand, a, a, Israelis don't want to be, a, in, in the Middle East in general, a, people of different communities live separately. I mean Druze and Jews and Christians and Muslims and Sunnis and, a, and Shiite. They live in separate communities. They, they don't engage. Uh, and Jews and uh, Palestinians, Jews in Israel don't want uh, to be overflown with uh, uh, Palestinians. And, and that more so for the people of the Tel Aviv region, which is the majority of the Israelis. So you have an area, the greater Tel Aviv area, we, we call it from Gedera in the south to Hedera in the north. This, this great uh, metropolis, uh, which has nearly no Arab towns in that region. Aside from Ramle Lud and Agudel and Yafo, most of those cities are all Jewish Israelis. So it's not, not so much a, a political issue as a cultural issue. Do you so think those, those are the two? Yeah, go ahead. No, okay. We've got we've got literally a few minutes. I'm gonna I've got four more questions. We're gonna get we'll shoot the quick questions. Uh, okay. number well, one is number one is Seth Rogan. He he um, a nice Yiddish boy, um, grew up in America, famous actor. Um, Unfortunately, um, he claims it was a joke or, or misunderstood or wasn't misunderstood. Uh, what do you have to do? You have to say, have you followed that story? Do you know the story? Do you have an opinion on that? Is there something you want to say to I, that? I, I do have an opinion. By by the way, I'm a, a I'm addicted to Twitter. If anyone here uses Twitter, you can follow me. My name is Haivri. H A I V R I. That's my username and my name. Uh, so mo most of my tidbits I post on, on Twitter. Uh, I, I've also been developing a YouTube channel, which I mean to be a virtual tour of Israel. Uh, now that I'm learning to be a tour guide, I'm, I'm posting virtual tours on my YouTube channel. It's called uh, Israel Heartland 
with David Ha'ivri. Uh, and uh, I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, so you can all contact me if you have any follow-up questions. I will try to respond to your questions. I saw this noise on, on Jewish Twitter regarding Seth Rogen and uh, people were, were upset and trying to explain or to knock. And, and for a couple of days, I had no response. Something was bothering me, but I had nothing, nothing to say. And then it dawned on me. We had this uh, a, a few weeks back or a few months back, there, there was a Peter Barnard also said, Peter Barnard is another American Jew uh, uh, who writes articles in the, the New York Times. And then there was another reform rabbi in America who said the Jews are not indigenous to the land of Israel. And it was like one, one parasha after the other and a lot of people were upset by these comments. And, and my own first thought was, why, why give these people so much attention? Why, why give them this platform? They're not really that important. I mean, they're, they're Jewish people, they deserve their respect. They, 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 they are welcome to their opinion. And, and all of that is fine. But there are real heroes in the Jewish nation. There are young people in Australia and in America and in uh, uh, Argentina and everywhere else in the world. There are people in your community who just finished high school and pack their bags and come to Israel to volunteer to be in the IDF. And these people, they, they are making a statement with, with their body that is so much stronger than this guy who, who appears in movies in Hollywood. He's not so important. He, I mean, he, he appears in movies, he makes a lot of money, good for him. But this kid from your own community who's 18, 19, 20 years old, and he volunteered to serve in the army of Israel. He does not have to do that. My, my kids serve in the army because they're enlisted. They, they also happen to volunteer to serve in meaningful positions in the IDF, and I have great respect for them. Uh, the same for your kids. If your kids in Australia who come to Israel, I have even more, more respect for them. They're saying something great. And, and maybe they're, they're 10 years younger, so they don't know how to, to express themselves as well. Maybe they're not Hollywood famous, so they don't get all of the, the, the spotlights. But those people are the, the, the young people that we should all be proud of. And, and they are representing the diaspora Jewry. Thank you. Final, final question to yes or no answer. Do you think Bibi will be prime minister in another year? I, 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 I guess I'm not the right person to ask because I thought that he was going to lose the elections two times, two elections ago. I don't mean in this last year that we had three elections and now, now he's threatening to have another elections. He, he's such a, 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 a political strategist. He, he's so smart at doing that. At, at some point, they, they, this is definite, at some point, Bibi will either not get reelected or he will retire and someone else will, will resume the leadership of the state of Israel. All right. That time is not very far away, far away. Well, David, can I just, I'm sorry that I, I know I rushed it at the end, but we, we like to end on time. So it's not, believe it or not, the full hour already passed by. Uh, first of all, as Brian just put your YouTube channel up on the chat, if anybody wants to look it up. Thank you, Brian. First of all, um, we want to thank you, David. Thank you for, for spending your time with us. Thank you for sharing your 
your wealth of knowledge and just your passion that comes across so so evidently your your love and commitment to to Eretz Israel to to Israel and thank you for all that you do. We want to wish you a lot of success in security and only only help for you for for all for all Israel for the whole world now. Help is obviously on everyone's front of mind. And um, we're here in isolation in Melbourne, so we appreciate connecting to you. We appreciate connecting to one another. And um, thank you, Brian, for always doing all you do for YJP. And for anybody out there as a YJP, if you need anything, give us a call, reach out. We're here. We're all together. So, David, thank you. Um, as David said, he's very generously offered if anybody wants to reach out to him of any further questions. I'm sorry that we didn't have time um, for all the questions, but... Thank you all, and uh, thank you, David. And Ami Shral Chaim, we look forward to joining you in Yerushalayim very soon. Please, God. Amen. Amen. Blessings for good health to all of you and your families. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Shalom. Shalom. Take care. Thank you, guys. Thank you.